0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek, ad number 96 for Monday, March 19th, 2007.
1: Greetings, folks. And welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geek. I just wanted to listen to that fade a little bit. So, yeah, so I was to gonna pause. say
0: that, that that's the alternate
1: intro, right? That's the normal one, actually. It's been a couple of what? shows since we've done the normal one since we yeah. Uh I'm Dave Hamilton and uh he's John Braun, and you mm. are our beloved listener. And beloved. Group, and group thereof. How are you today, John? <laughs> I don't like ice. No, well, yeah. there's way too much of it surrounding my house. Yeah, we've got some here. We've got nice snow this weekend, though. Eight inches, which is nice to see. So,
2: oh
0: uh, the only thing I found very interesting was that when I walked outside to survey the damage, it was a little snow and then a, a night of you know, sleet and ice and all that. I could walk on the snow. Oh. It was quite disturbing, actually, because I expected to break through and I didn't because there was so much frickin' ice. How <laughs> would, I said fricking so we keep that clean tag. That's right. But anyways, <laughs> all right. So but t- it's just amazing. Oh, so it, it's going away. That's I good. Come, but more come. yeah, moral but anyways, you know that. we got a lot it's of stuff down. here. So we do uh, enough about the weather.
1: <laughs> we have uh airport uh, quite, we got f- quite a few questions about airports. So we've put a little section together on that. We have a uh, little bit to talk about in regards to the whole network thing that we sort of stumbled into during the last show. And then uh, quite a few miscellaneous uh, things that uh, that you folks came up with. So
3: we'll start with
1: uh, with Todd.
3: Hey guys, Todd in Big Lake here. Uh, here's my situation. I would like to use my shared library on my iBook and see that on my computer that is also on the network. My other computer. I have an iBook, and here's my here's my setup. I have uh, a wired router a Linksys-wired router connected to two computers, which can see each other's libraries for sharing. And um, out of that router also, I have that wired to a Airport Express with Airtunes, and I'm using my iBook to, uh, to connect to that to send tunes to the stereo. But I would also like to be able to share my, uh, or to see the shared libraries on the other computers in the household, And for some reason, I can't, on the iBook, see the other shared libraries. And uh, I was just listening to your last show, and I think that it may have something to do with DHCP. Um, Right now, I have DHCP configured on a wired router, um, so that both the other computers are able to connect to the Internet and see each other's shared libraries. But the iBook, which is connecting to the airport to the uh, wired router uh, is unable to see the uh, shared libraries. And I'm wondering if, since I have, I I probably have DHCP uh, um, on in airport admin, and that is causing trouble since there's two DHCP setups there, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, okay, so uh, you're absolutely right, Todd. That is exactly the problem. In a nutshell, you've created a network off of a network. You've got your, in addition to the two computers that are connected wired, getting an IP address from your uh, Linksys wired router, your airport extreme base station is also getting an address from the wired router, which it should. It then, in turn... If it's set up by default, which it sounds like it is, it is distributing, creating its own set of DHCP addresses. Uh, another whole network um, that it's now kind of broken off from your your Linksys network, and anybody that connects wirelessly to the Airport Extreme is getting one of those addresses, which is then being routed through that one shared address from the Linksys, and or yeah, from the Linksys, and then to the Linksys, and off it goes. So. In a nutshell, you need to disable DHCP on the uh, Airport Extreme and just let the Linksys router do all DHCP. Is that right, John? Yeah, I think the
0: screen is, um, uh, I think you may have mentioned, distribute IP addresses. You want to be careful about who's doing that.
1: Yeah, so that, right, you go into Airport Admin, go to the Network tab, and disable the Distribute IP Addresses checkbox. That'll turn a whole bunch right. of other things off on that screen, and that's exactly it. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, uh want to mention a few things about okay. uh, about that. Number one, on the firewall. Now, I noticed, just to make absolutely sure if you can't see things, I see two entries in the firewall entry, which is, uh, I believe, in the uh, sharing um Pain here. Mm-hmm. And there's iTunes music sharing and iPhoto Bonjour sharing. Now I'm not sure, uh, right now I probably have them both off. I don't know if turning them on in the app turns them on the firewall. I would hope they do. Mm. But I see explicit entries here, so. Okay, yeah. yeah Just want to mention a place to check if you can't see things, who, who knows if somebody may change things. So look in that section and if if they're not checked on on the firewall, that, that could be another thing.
1: And, yeah, and uh, that would be think, in the it, on the uh, host computers, so on the ones whose libraries you are trying to connect to.
0: Right? Yeah. Right. And when we we're talking sharing, I think we we're talking specifically uh, sharing either uh, iTunes or also uh, iPhoto. You can, uh, you know, that's the more recent addition to the, the suite there, which is right. kind of
1: cool. Right. Um, and, and the reason you can't see them is because iTunes and iPhoto will only look for libraries of computers on the same subnet as you, so essentially on the same home network as you, because you've created a second network there, it's only looking for shared libraries of other computers that are on the the airport network. If you turn off IP address distribution from the airport router, then it will see. It will just simply. You're, you're essentially turning your airport extreme into a bridge oh, at that point. Okay. Okay. But and and so in that case, yeah. So it'll all be on the same network, and then all three of them can see each other because it's it's going to be seen. They can see each other now, but iTunes spe- especially will not let you connect to libraries that are not on your subnet, and that's to keep the whole RIAA happy. And you know yes. don't get me started. So- you may fondly
0: remember that I think one of the I fondly remember versions, nothing about the RIAA. Oh, no, no. No, oh. I meant iTunes. So oh, that yes. early version, that's they right. kind of overlooked the fact that sharing outside of your subnet may indicate a certain type of activity. That's like right. Sharing yep. over the Internet. That's right. And then they clamped down on that, which, uh, eh,
1: hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I mean, that's part of it. it as has since been revealed— uh, in, in specifically in Steve Jobs' open letter to the the industry at large, that's part of their agreement with the with the labels. As soon as there's any way for people to circumvent fair play, um, the the Apple has an, you know a certain number of days in which they have to fix that problem. And so as soon as that was made public, Apple then need to re- release a new version of iTunes, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Oh, my. One would think that time and effort could be spent on something more productive. But uh, it's
1: just me. It's all money. Okay, moving. Just follow the dollars. That's all it takes. Hey,
4: Dave and John. This is Philip from the What Ails The Podcast here in Minneapolis. During last week's show, Chris from Wisconsin called in with a problem regarding his airport router. He said that his internet connection would periodically slow down and that the only fix he found was rebooting the airport itself. This reminded me of a similar situation I encountered while running a network that catered to college students. The root of the problem for us turned out to be that a few users had peer-to-peer file sharing applications always running, and that some were also hosting game servers on their machines. These apps, as it turns out, were consuming significant amounts of bandwidth and slowing things down for everyone else on the network. Interestingly, these applications were unaffected by NAT because they were designed to use port numbers designated for other services or they kept open sessions to hosts on the internet. In our case, we identified the problem by using packet-sniffing tools like Ethereal, which allowed us to see what was consuming the bandwidth. I don't know if that would be an option for Chris, but if the number of users is small enough, he could manually isolate machines off the network until performance improves. Anyway, I hope this is helpful for Chris and your other listeners. I also want to thank you guys for putting out a great show and for promoting the Mac and podcasting in general. Your efforts are very much appreciated, so please keep up the great work. Thank you, sir. That's very kind of you.
1: And, and Ooh. that you know, in thinking back on, on Chris's situation from last week, that makes mm. perfect sense because he said it would, you know, as soon as he reset the router, it would be fine for a while, and then it would pick back up again, which if somebody was running a peer-to-peer server, that's exactly the behavior that would happen. Well, so –
0: you know, I was kind of on the mark in that I indicated it was probably some pe- people sponging bandwidth.
1: Yeah, but it it as it it could I mean it could be someone that's supposed to get bandwidth sponging it just the same.
0: So you know i'll have a, a a less technical but more philosophical look on this in in that you know it's the the tragedy of the commons of everybody is is given access and and you know i've run in this run into this running some peer to peer clients is that there's a way to set it up to be nice and a way to set it up to be that's
1: right in fact you know consuming
0: it's me, it's, me, it's me. funny
1: cuz i had a house guest here john uh, i don't know a couple of months ago and mm-hmm. uh, and as soon as this this particular house guest set up their computer i noticed within about an hour that my email was coming in slow and I, I couldn't browse and stuff. And I had to talk to this one particular house guest uh about disabling or or throttling the bandwidth on their uh, I believe it was BitTorrent client, such that upstream, uh which is the the sharing of data, was limited to less than what my network's upstream was so that we could get data in and out. Do you uh do you remember anything about that, John?
0: I do Seem to remember being somewhere and th- there being a very lame connection with not a lot of bandwidth because I'm used to a lot of bandwidth. So
1: no, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That is, It was good.
0: Uh, so, yeah. Richard, no, I, it, yeah, go ahead. It, 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 it was being rude. It, you, you, but but I'm, what I'm offering is, is a possible solution. Is hey guys, if you have a bandwidth cap on your client, right? Could you could you kind of yeah, could you enable
1: that? Thanks. Yeah. No, and I do it here. It, 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 if I'm doing anything like that, any major uploads or, or, you know, any sort of BitTorrent type activity, figure out what your upstream bandwidth is, and you'll either know that from your cable company. Like here, I've got what eight, well, eight to nineteen megabits down, depending on the burstableness of it, and uh, and seven sixty eight k up. So I always set my, at most, set my upstream bandwidth on anything like that to, you know, about 600K or, or 60 kilobytes as, or kilobits as opposed to, uh, right, no, 600 kilobits versus 60 kilobytes. And uh, and then that way, it it leaves some headroom there. What makes things slow, like web surfing and, and checking email, is you need to send a request out. In order to get data back, right from the web server mm-hmm. or the email server or whatever, and if it takes, if that request going out has to be mixed in with packets that are completely soaking the outstream, the upstream bandwidth, then it's going to take yeah. a while. Even though the downstream is unused or, or you know only partially used, that because mm-hmm. the upstream is soaked, it it slows everything down. So just throttling that back, even giving it, you know, if you've got seven sixty eight, leave hundred k open and that's way more than enough to, to get that turnaround happening. So there you go.
0: Yeah. but you see, my problem is uh, I'm, I'm being a bit of because at home I'm the only one here. So I don't care. <clears throat> and at work, I don't care either because I'm vying for bandwidth. <laughs> on all my coworkers. Right. And, right. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's, show no mercy i mean
1: well even at home for me (laughs) even if i'm the only one using the network i'll i'll still cap it so that my email and web browsing is totally unaffected Mm -hmm. so there you go um okay richard wrote in uh and and asked uh, the the following question i recently moved and for some reason a portion of my house is not getting any wireless signal i can pull wires through the walls but that seems so old some that seems so old-fashioned I'm using a Linksys WRT54G version 2 router, and I was wondering if I could add an Airport Express for that area. I think you covered some of this in a past networking podcast, but I'm still unsure of the suggested setup. All right, uh, so we're talking about expanding wireless range, and really there's no perfect solution here. Uh, it, well, the perfect solution would be run one cable, right, and and snake a wire from where your existing router is to some other corner of your house And put another base station over there set up much in the same way we just talked about with Todd's setup where there's a, um, you know, where you're just passing uh, things through. You're not distributing IP addresses in both places. Mm -hmm. If you can't do that, though, there are ways. And uh, I'll let you start talking about them, John. Yeah. So I want
0: to back up what you were saying before is that wireless, um, you know, where you can do such is uh, you can try it, but. Sometimes things get very weird, especially, I just mentioned this because for the last several days or several weeks, I've been working with RFID at certain frequencies and just watching all the fascinating things that radio waves do. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me, if you can get a wire going at all, do it. But if you can't, um, there is something called WDS, which is a, a way that wireless stations can extend themselves. I think, is it Wireless Distribution System?
1: I believe that's correct. Yeah.
0: Okay, so it's a it's a protocol between wireless base stations where it it essentially takes one base station and makes it look like an extension of another. Whereas if somebody tries to connect to the network, they really don't know the difference. Um, on the airport in the airport utility it, you can do this one part of it is if you go to the internet tab there will be a selection for how you would like to connect to the internet and you know of course that uh device has an ethernet port, so you can choose that but there's an airport wds session uh section and what you have to specify in there and this is where it's kind of a, a two-way thing is you have to specify the mac address of the wds host right now the wds host can be another device and actually in my case and i think in your case dave is that apple was a bit lagging in offering wds i'm going to call it server functionality where it was a device that you could connect to to offer wds services and at least for me that was one reason that i got a link instead of the apple product of course now the apple product offers that so right, right. keep in mind that it's a it's a you know uh, both devices have to support WDS both the base station and the extension um, if they do, and you know the MAC addresses, um, make sure it's the wireless MAC address. I remember running into this when you're configuring them, is that sometimes these devices have multiple MAC addresses. And, sure. Uh, be careful which one you take, because what, one way I to... remember scratching my head for a while with, with when I was experimenting with this the first time, saying, why am I not connecting? I'm connecting to the MAC address, and then I realized the device may have three MAC addresses, depending on which interface you're talking, wireless or wired or, or
1: maybe some other. Right, you were saying. Uh, What I was going to say is one way to simply find the the MAC address of the wireless portion is to connect to it with your Mac and go into the Internet Connect app, and it'll tell you right in there what the MAC address of the base station Mm. is. Don't confuse it for the MAC address of your of your Mac. Uh, But you know, if you look if you look in that in that uh, connection tab there, it'll show you. Yeah, okay, this is the address of the airport station that I'm connected to. Just write that down and copy it over, and you're good to go. Yeah
0: yeah if you 're broadcasting that 's one thing I notice sometimes that does introduce some difficulties and I think we 're getting into a question about that uh, shortly, so maybe we 'll talk about it more then are we i don 't think so uh, <laughs>
1: no i don 't think so i think I think this is the one <laughs> yeah so yeah so i mean w d s can then relay that that around and it can work, but an airport extreme is a little extreme if you will for uh, for doing this. Linksys has its wireless range expander thing, and, and various other companies make them as well, where all you do is plug in this uh, this device. Most of them, I know the Linksys one that that I've used, uh, just plugs into an outlet and sits there. It, it just kind of hides at the outlet, and it's got a little antenna on it. And it will essentially, it via WDS, uh, act mm. as a repeater for your wireless network. And the I know I've heard a lot of people say that all devices need to support it that's not been my experience. I've been able to do WDS with uh access points that are set up by someone else without WDS configured and it works just fine because the the the, hmm. the yeah the the and I've done it with my airport base station, I've done it with these Linksys range extenders. Um you just plug it in and tell it, yeah, okay, look, there's the the client and uh or there's the host rather and and then distribute it from here. It, experience-wise though, I, it, it It hasn't been the end all be all i know i I always refer to the time that I was in a hotel room and was able to relay the signal back from where I could get it in the bathroom by the door back to the desk at the back of the hotel room, but again, that added about ten feet maybe to the range of the uh of the of the signal that's about all I've ever found with any of these things I haven't seen something where you know you you plug this in, and bam, you know all of a sudden you 've got you know an extra fifty feet of range or something i it just it just wow. hasn 't been my experience, so there you go uh, so um you run, you know, a, run a, a cable
0: peeve. yeah, or a pet peeve but but w d s you know eh, yeah, oh, it 's great it so um Matt, uh, you mentioned before mac now, mm-hmm. pet peeve of mine, yeah. especially when dealing with some old school i t folks is that M-A-C, all caps, is Media Access Control. It's the hardware address of a network adapter. It is not the Macintosh computer. That's right. And I see this, uh, I don't know why it happens. It just, again, pet peeve, silly little thing, but it's like M, capital, all caps, is not a Mac computer. <laughs> it's it, hap- eh, it happens so often, well, we'll pretend it is, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah are you with it's me here? oh yeah i am I, I am just... i've i've seen it before too it just it's like you said it's one of those things where you get you get a lot of windows weenies and i and i say that with with a Ooh, lot of love weenies uh I, I, you know it we just, love the weenies yeah it's uh, you know i've i've acted as one before but never never to that extent so there you go mm-hmm. our sponsor for this show is audible available at audible.com uh but if you click through the link here on our show notes page there is, you get a free audiobook if you sign up, and you get a two week free trial of their gold product. Audible, of course, allows you to download uh, audiobooks, and you can download them and listen to them basically on anything that you could listen to this podcast on. Most all audio players are now supported by Audible. I don't know that we've heard from a single listener that's using something that's not. It integrates with iTunes. All kinds of books available, the IWAS book, Stephen Levy's book about uh, the, the perfect thing, the, the whole iPod shuffle, or the the whole iPod economy deal, the Icon book about uh, Steve Jobs, Alan Deutschman's The Second Coming mm-hmm. of Steve Jobs, all of that. They've got 35,000 titles, more than 35,000 titles, all, all the genres. Again, you get a free audiobook if you click the link that we have in the show notes. If you're at all interested, of course great to support our sponsors. It helps support our show. Uh, It's all available at audible.com, but really through the link in the show notes. So, Audible, and there you go. We have, uh, we we stumbled into a networking area on our last show, and there are a couple of things that we need to make clear, and a couple of things that we need to correct. So, we will start uh, by talking about the DHCP concept, if you will.
2: Hey. I just want to let you know DHCP is routable, but it takes a bit of doing. Namely, you have to configure the router to forward the DHCP requests to another specific server, and then based on the IP of the router, the request is coming from, the server knows what range of IP addresses to send an offer back. And then it would it back to the router, and the router rebroadcasts it back to the, to the uh, originating host. But like I said, it takes a bit of doing. And I think it technically happens over boot P or some strange thing like that. At least that's what I know from what I learned dealing with Windows 2000 uh, DHCP servers. Bye. All
1: right. So, yeah, so that's the uh, that's the gist of it. I had said last week that DHCP wasn't routable. And, and he's right. And I've done this before. You can forward it. Uh, as long as you tell the router where to go for uh, for any packets that come to it versus DHCP or for DHCP and I I was discussing this with Scott Barman who is is, really is the unofficial fact checker of of Mac Geek Gab he is a fantastic Mm -hmm. resource uh, and and we thank you for everything that uh, that you do for us, Scott I was talking back and forth with him and uh and he said it's an issue of semantics, and and he's right. You know, routable, forwardable. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, yes, the DHCP packets can be shipped off to another, uh, you know, to another server. But the router needs to know; it's not just going to do it automatically. Uh, at least, not most of our home routers. So, uh, so that's that. Uh, another thing that that uh, I discussed with Scott and I got, or we got. Audio comments from a, a slew of you, including Scott, Brad, Seamus, uh, and and a couple of others. There was no way to play all of these on the show, and and each of them had had snippets that was good. And I tried to think of a way to pitch you know to piece it all together. But really, what it came down to was, I listened to all of them, communicated with quite a few of you, and finally grokked the whole concept of what a network class is and. As it turns out, John and I were each half right, and had we put it all together, uh, we probably would have had the right answer because we've both been there before. So that's good. That is good. Yeah, that's why. Uh, that's the strength of what we do here, man. So, uh, so to to put this issue to bed, uh, we're gonna we're gonna run quickly through what it what it means to have a class A, a class B, a class C, a class D. So, a class A network is any network that uh, whose address starts with... And when I say address, we're talking about IP address. So the first octet of the IP address is anywhere between 0 and 128, or 127, uh, inclusive. And then the rest of the, uh, the the network, the after the dot, so there's three more octets available, that's all in the same Class A. Uh, class B networks are starting from 128 to 191, and we'll always have the same second octet. Uh, it, it will be different for each class B, but, uh, but that's how it was broken up. And, and so those would have the, uh, the first octet somewhere between one, uh, 128 and 191. And then the second octet will always be the same. And then the, the, uh, the last two octets can, can range because that's all part of that class B. The class C, one ninety two to two twenty three, and all the first three octets are the same. So the last one is the only one that changes. Did, did you have something to add there, John? No, you're you're okay. right on there. All right. So um, and so class... octet being a byte, of course, of course.
0: I was trying I was trying not to oct... get overly Oc geeky. Oct being eight, of course, or I think eight bits, but mm-hmm. um, hmm. but no, a lot of network people still use that term, and it's actually in a lot of the old documents. But, it is, um, yeah. So I guess one thing, I don't know if we want to talk about it a little more, but you can also, of course, once you get a class or class of addresses, then you can sliver it up if if you like to, but maybe that's getting too, uh, get too too detailed. Yeah. So we're going to back up and uh, please continue on the path of classes
1: Okay. we reach the okay, end of that so, path. Yeah, so class D then starts at two twenty four and goes to two thirty nine, and class E, which is really mostly unused, goes from two forty to two fifty five. Class <laughs> I D, that was evil. That's right. E. <laughs> uh, class D is for all that multicast stuff that we discussed in the last show. So we're we're going to leave that uh, that as it were. And and go from there. Do you have anything to add, John? Before we go to uh, multicast, uh, I
0: think I, yeah. I did do some more reading up, and it's it's okay. many to many, but it it does get. Uh, I think it's a mix of low level, you know, doing smart things about distributing a lot of data to a lot of people. That's and exactly some right. Some higher level like conferencing. I think conferencing, you know, like video rebroadcast uh, can benefit from multicast. If you're, uh, you know, especially probably not over the internet, though. I know there are oh. some research networks that study this, and actually, no, I think they do have some that are specifically designed just for this sort of thing, but, you know, we're talking lots of fiber and, you know, a lot of, you know, researchy, educational, uh, high-speed networks, but um, you got it. Okay, Where we yeah,
1: so, so multicast is interesting because there's a couple of practical uses for it. One is when we talked about Apple Remote Desktop and the new version, version 3, the ability to, uh, let's say you, and I've done this a couple of times this week, and for the first time in a long time uh if you have one file that you want to copy to five different computers normally using unicast which is the typical you know one computer talking to another it would have to send that file across the network five times so it send to computer 1 send to computer 2 send to computer 3 and and you'd use five times the bandwidth of whatever that file was apple remote desktop 3 uses multicast to do this so it sends the file once and specifies all the IP addresses that the uh, file is supposed to go to. And then it's the router's job to distribute it to all of uh, of those machines. Mm. And those machines can be on multiple networks. The cool part is that it only sends it out once, and then the router says, okay, look, four of these five machines are on my local network, so that's all taken care of. But one of them's not, so I've got to take these packets... And bounce them out to the next one, and along with the packets, it, it, they're multicast packets. It sends along the data for the, uh, the the IP address of the computer that it's going to. Another example is gaming, where you've got to get data in and out quite a bit. And we got quite a few emails about people that say there's there's some gaming servers that use multicast to uh, to make that more efficient, which makes a lot of sense. So. There you go. So uh, you thought it was too geeky to matter, and maybe it matters to your life.
0: (laughs) So it sounds like these devices would involve relatively more horsepower, you know, processor and memory and stuff like that. Well, especially memory, I think, if they're going to be, you know, building up this stuff and then rebroadcasting and trying to do it smart, they may have to, you know, uh, send it to multiple buffers and all that stuff so they don't slow down. So I'd imagine that's, uh, well... You know, as technology moves forward, yeah, I don't, I don't think you have to pay extra for that. But that's good. No, you it's, know, it, it's it nothing. That, me, yeah, it struck me. Also, it almost sounds like it's approaching something like BitTorrent. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I wonder if Which BitTorrent uses multi. Level. I can't. Yeah, I wonder if it uses multicast. Well, oh, not multicast on
0: the internet at large, but 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 the the the. Uh, well, the, the concept's a little different. It's a many-to-many. Right. Um. Technology, So in, in that sense, because I've just been interested, especially uh, Azurus, I think. Is that how you pronounce Azurius? it? Oh, the, the, Azurius. Azur, I think. whatever. I don't know. Um, you know, the blue frog there. They have one screen that shows your position in the swarm and then how you're transferring among them. Yeah. And it just strikes me that that's, uh, you know, visually at least uh, kind of the same thing.
2: But, yep.
1: Yep. Cool. Okay. Uh along these lines, we got an email from Steven that I just made go away. Uh a talk we talked about the broadcast address, which on your local network, if your ne- if your local network is one ninety two dot dot whatever, uh your broadcast address most likely if, if you're using a, a you know a network router, the broadcast address is gonna be one ninety two. And Stephen had a, had a very interesting point to make, and it 's something i'd never ever thought to do before. We were talking about you know figuring out how many computers are connected to your airport base station. A quick way to do mm-hmm. it is to open up the terminal, type the command ping, and in os ten the ver- the version of ping that we have will will do this with no parameters, so you just type ping space, and then the broadcast address so one ninety two dot one sixty eight dot one hundred dot two fifty five and it will instantly return all of the computers on your network that respond to pings, that is, will uh, will now start answering, and you'll get to see all their IP addresses. And then you can try and figure out, okay, well, you know, who is this and who is that? So uh, that's one way of finding out who's on your network. Uh, as an aside, if you're leeching on someone else's network and you don't want them to find you this way, uh, make it so that your Mac doesn't respond to pings. And that's an exercise uh, left to, to the listener. So there you go. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna tell them how to do that, but it you don't. Have doesn't have to, to, to be
0: an that. exercise. Okay, tell them how to do it. Go ahead. So you you don't want me to tell them
1: about the advanced button in the firewall? No, go to the advanced button in the firewall. There you go.
0: Because if you go to the firewall, yep. uh, which is in sharing, oddly enough, I always found that kind of weird. But the advanced button, you will have a number of choices. One, block UDP traffic. I don't think I'd do that. Yeah. Based yeah. on the number of things I know, like uh, maybe not BitTorrent, but other things.
1: Perhaps Skype uh, like you and I are using now. Yeah, that, that'd probably be game over. Yeah, pretty much. Game over, man.
0: So uh, some people may have a reason to do that. Then enable firewall logging. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. But then enable stealth mode. I think what that does at a very low level. So it it says, um, do not acknowledge that your computer exists, which to me, I translate that to being an ICMP Ping packet. That's right. Which is very useful for, you know, traceroute and ping and, and all that stuff. But if some device along the way refuses to acknowledge it, which also I found that with trace routes, I mean, more and more, if you try to do one, it, it stops dead somewhere. Really? If somebody doesn't. Well, it should it, pass through it them. It shouldn't stop most dead. Major, it should just pass major through high level, well, mo- Most major high level routers, what I'm saying, once you start getting close to the inside of some networks, they.
1: Oh, You know, I just yeah. see
0: stars. Absolutely. so That's right.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyways, we led you down the path. We didn't want to lead you down. Well, the only reason it, I didn't it, want it to lead you It not that him. scary. No, it's not that scary. I just didn't have the vision <laughs> in my head and figured it was nice just to say we were going to leave that up to them. Uh, we skipped Devin earlier, so we're going to let him uh, let
2: him do his John
3: break. and Dave, what's up, guys? This is Devin calling from LaGrange, Kentucky. And in a previous episode, you guys mentioned uh, being able to shut off SSID broadcasting on the airport base station now i went into my airport's uh you, you know utility admin and looked for that option and couldn't find it so i'm wondering if you could clarify on a future show how to do so uh please note that i'm running uh os 10.3.9 uh, and i believe my uh airport whoops software sorry software is up to date thank you very much and great show
1: i thought he was gonna for some reason i thought he gave his phone number and i wanted to stop that but mm. he didn't so uh you have an answer for him john I
0: think you had the beginning here in in our pre-show. Yeah. Um, so of course you can in the airport utility go to uh, the, the way to hide your network is to click on, and here's the problem is that SSID tell them what to click on. The tell them what to click on. Use.
1: Tell them what to click on. Don't skip it. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. Airport network and uh, no, create a closed network
1: in the airport pane of the airport right admin utility. That's right. Right. I'm sorry. So okay. that's why I'm here nudging.
0: Yes. Why we're both here. That's so right. the problem is we said SSID and that's the abbreviation for the base station name. And I, I don't know off the top of my head what it stands
1: for. Something something. It's not you I don't, don't think the SS is something something, John.
0: I think it is.
1: It is the service set identifier. Yeah, which means the base station
0: name. Nice. Now, the problem yeah. here is that, so you can say, create a closed network, which, which says, do not beacon or broadcast the name of the base station on a regular basis, which, if you're using pretty much any Wi-Fi-enabled computer, that's what you see when you click on whatever utility, depending on the machine, uh, that's where you'll see the list of base stations, and If you don't broadcast the ID Then you won't immediately be seen. But here are some caveats. And I found a very nice article at, oh, the name of the site is Wi Fi Planet. And we will link to this. But basically, um, the thing is is that you can kind of prod the uh, base station to release the SSID, which is broadcast in the clear. So even though, so I would say the safest installation is where. You don't broadcast where you choose close network or don't broadcast SSID and nothing happens on the network. The problem is when there start to be transactions where people are authenticating to the base station, that's a chance for somebody to sniff the traffic and see the name which is broadcast in the clear, at least based on the information I see here, which um, I've seen some of these programs in action, so I would say for the most part it's, it's accurate. Is that you know it's kind of a silly slip in the protocol. Okay, you don't broadcast, but if there's an authentication operation occurring, that's in, a, in one of the data packets because they have to know this sort of thing. Um, the key is is that, so what you either do is you kind of hang out and you wait for somebody to reassociate or there are actually utilities where you get on a base station at some level and you can kick somebody off. Of course, if you kick them off, their software is probably set to re-authenticate and they will rebroadcast the SSID of the network they're reconnecting to. We so SSID. I would say, you know, I mean, nothing protects you totally. It keeps the amateurs away,
1: right? Right, but not like, people uh, like Scott Barman, and I and I know Scott's uh, having a chuckle right now. <laughs> oh yeah, he he he. Um, I've
0: there yeah. I I don't know if I take as as much joy in doing some of the things he does. <laughs> oh, I, I wasn't supposed to talk about that. Comment. I don't. No, I don't he's a. Yeah, he's, I think, a hacker in the truest sense. Absolutely. Would you agree?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's great. Uh, All right, Uh, moving on to the miscellaneous stuff. Uh, Richard wrote in, and, uh, oh, no, we already did Richard. You know, we have Richard we have... I threw you off because the... uh, Yeah, we kind of Yeah, you jumped around. Well, we have Richard and we have Roger, and we already talked about Richard. So, Roger writes... I have a large collection of vinyl records, and I am too cheap to purchase the same music in digital. Nor should you have to, Roger. Can you recommend a device which will con- connect my turntable to my Intel Mac and allow me to import the songs into iTunes? Okay, so uh, there's there's a couple of couple of things to talk about here. First of all, let, let's take the turntable out of the equation for the What's moment. Nope. An- <laughs> it's that, it's that old big round thing that people used to use to, to clean this. Uh, never mind. Um, oh, a CD. No, 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 oh. no, no, no. The big round thing, the hole in the middle for the seeds. Uh, no, never mind. Um, just kidding. Go. Yeah. So if you take let's 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 talk about if you have a tape collection because it, it, it and then we'll go to LP because it's one more layer here. So let's say you've got a tape collection and you want to digitize some of this stuff. Most Macs have an audio in port, okay, a stereo port. So as long as your Mac has that, then you can proceed to step two. If it doesn't, you need to get something like a Griffin iMic, with and there's other devices like it uh, that'll allow you to digitize audio into your Mac. Now, if you're a purist, you may want to get something like a Griffin iMic anyway, because your mm. Mac's digital to analog, analog to digital converters. Are fairly noisy because they're inside the computer, and so they've got all this other electrical noise that they're com- that that they've got to deal with. An iMic is a- external to your computer and is isolated from some of that noise. So there you go. So now, what? Go ahead. I, I just want to clarify
0: is that the, now we're talking we're starting to talk a couple of different levels of input. I just want to want to clarify that. So the iMic and I got that at one point. Now the Macs, I believe, are pretty much line level, right?
1: Yeah, and that that's that's where we're that's why I started with the tape. That's right, because your your line level with the uh, with the tape. So let's say you've got all these audio tapes. If, as long as you've got a mini eighth inch port on your Mac or on the iMic, which mm-hmm. one or both of them will have, then you get all you got to do is run down to Radio Shack and get an RCA, which are the the prevalent red and yellow, I'm uh, sorry, the red and white connectors uh, oh, yeah. on the back of your, all your audio components. They're not always red and white, but most of the time they are. Uh, so you get, you know, the, the two, uh, which would be stereo RCA to a single stereo mini eighth, which is the little, I, I, uh, you know, iPhone, iPod headphone like Jack on the side of your Mac. So mm-hmm. you plug that in and then use some software like, uh, I know Roxio CD Spin Doctor will do it and there's others you could use Audio Hijack Pro you could use probably even QuickTime Pro to to record some of this stuff that's coming in. So once the data is coming in you're you're good to go. I know again Roxio CD Spin Doctor kind of has has a lot of it, it is built to do this. So it's got some things that make it easier for you, but but there's plenty of other software that you could use. And that's it. You're you're done. Now, if you want to do this with a turntable on the back of your, and this this goes back a couple of years for most of us, but if you remember on the back of your stereo receiver or amplifier, you had jacks for the tape deck, maybe the CD player, and there was always one for phono or for the phonograph, the turntable. Mm. If you took your turntable and plugged it into any of the other jacks, it wouldn't work. Conversely, if you took your tape deck and plugged it into the phono jack or your CD player and plugged it into the phono jack. It sounded terrible, and the reason is, like John was alluding to earlier, mm-hmm. the tape deck and the CD player are at what's called line level, and the phonograph, the LP, is at what I always called low level, and in order to plug that into a, a line level jack, which is what's on your Mac, you need an amplifier, and you can get one of those at Radio Shack too, or at least you used to be able to. I'm assuming you still can. I have one that I bought years and years and years ago at Radio Shack because one receiver I had didn't have a, a phono input, so I had to, you know, boost up the signal from the thing. And uh and that's that. Then at that point you're you're done and it's once you've got that signal okay. amplified up from low level to line level, it, the rest is is cake. So there you go. Uh you could though, now that I'm thinking about it, if you have a mm-hmm. receiver slash amplifier that has tape deck in and outs on it. You could use that as your, as your, uh, amplifier from low to line level. If you plug in your phonograph to the, or your LP to the LP jack, phonograph jack on it, select phonograph as your input source, and then connect your Mac to the RCA ports on tape out on the back of that, that would solve, that would serve the same purpose. So, uh, so if you've got that, then you don't need to go to Radio Shack and ask them about a low to, or, you know, phono to line level amplifier and have the twelve year old guy behind the counter scratch his head because mm-hmm. he doesn't know what an lp is so uh so there you go twelve year old I don't well think they can do that I think if, it's it, if legal maybe, maybe if it's the owner's you know son <laughs> or daughter or whatever
0: <laughs> yeah, so I guess right. the key maybe is not. when I got at what you said and I've run into this is is when you realize that there are two different levels line and mic it makes yeah. life a lot easier yeah. when something doesn't work or when like I think you suggested you barely barely hear something right. because the voltage level and the current level on one signal is barely perceptible right. in the other world and you're like what is going on what are, maybe
1: i should turn it up louder no 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 no, no. you need to bring the gain up <laughs> and the only way to do that uh in well <laughs> the easiest way to do that is to buy that that amplifier so mm-hmm. that's that okay uh you know, let's just stick with emails from here on out. I, I like the emails too. No, uh, yeah. Who we got? Who's? Yeah. We're going to uh, Chance. So Chance writes in with a helpful little hap, hack and, and writes in all caps, please read this on the show. So how could we say no? Uh, have a cool little no. Mac. No.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> all
1: right. Fine. We'll move on to the next one. Uh, no, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Chance writes, I have a cool little Mac hack to share with you. Ever get sick of having the same wallpaper behind your Mac's login window? Well, I figured out how to change it. All you have to do is find the image you want to use, copy it to the folder slash library slash de- desktop pictures, rename the aqua blue image to something else, and name the image you want as the background aqua blue. Uh, and... My mm-hmm. guess is he, he says he's not sure if file format or size applies here. Uh, I'm almost certain that it would, so you've got to match the file format. And I think those are PNGs, if I'm not mistaken. Are you checking for me, John? <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> no, they're JPEGs. They're JPEGs. So you got to name it aqua blue dot JPEG, And mm-hmm. uh, the one that's there is... Uh... Twenty-five sixty yeah, by sixteen. Twenty-five sixty by, by sixteen hundred uh, pixels, and that's probably mm. what you should match. Although my guess is, if you did something smaller, it would probably work, depending on the resolution of your screen. It may tile it or grow it. Or, right? Yeah, who knows?
0: Right. So I tried it though, and it turned my Mac into a newt.
1: <laughs> I was just going to let the silence go there. <laughs> mark writes in and now mark uh is the the very same mark that created the made on a mac bumper that you always hear at the end of this show and you'll hear at the end of this one and i'm not gonna bumper? play it yet that's what they call it a bumper we, we call that a bumper that's right so he created we, that for we, us but we
0: doesn't include we means you not
1: yeah people. i have a frog in my pocket so it's me uh <laughs> and uh, so mark has a question Every once in a while, usually shortly after restarting my computer, although sometimes it happens happens after I've been running for a while, no Rosetta apps will launch. The icon appears in the dock for a second, then disappears immediately. It's very unpredictable when it happens or even if it happens. In every case, a simple restart fixes it, but I would like to prevent it in the future. Any ideas? I've even manually gone into Activity Monitor and quit the translated process, but it never helps. This is on a 24-inch iMac, of course, uh, an Intel-based iMac. I have seen this problem. I don't know of a solution, so this is perhaps a, uh, it's not really a geek challenge, but if anybody has an answer, and he's right, a restart will fix it, but I've also found that quitting all of my apps also fixes it. So I'm wondering, it's got to be related to memory management in some way. Now, I know OS 10 isn't susceptible to the whole memory fragmentation thing that we had in OS 9, uh, but... It seems like something out there is uh, is causing this issue. So, uh, so I had at least one recent
0: uh, switcher coworker mentioned the same thing, and and it was I think uh, apps uh, CS two would use, Reso, okay, right? Adobe uh, Creative Suite, right?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I see it with Office, but I'm not I imagine, native yet. Yeah.
0: And what shocks me is that normally, at least on on the PowerPC PC Max, which I all of mine, I I'm, don't have an Intel one, right. but when something crashes even violently it usually brings up a dialogue saying whoops you right know, you want me to report this to apple so i'm i'm kind of concerned that maybe the intel side or the rosetta side doesn't have the error catching to i mean was that well it sounds like that's what happens you yeah. launch and it's like whoop i'm yeah. done you, you get yeah, no some, error no nothing no something that anything went yeah. wrong right
1: yeah yeah and it's Which but you, remember rosetta to me yeah, Rosetta is a translated environment. And, oh, sure and, sure, and so every application in Rosetta talks to others. Isn't that right? Isn't that how that worked? Um, I'm pretty sure. I don't think it launches a, a a new translator for each one. I think it's sort of a, a whole mm-hmm. shared environment in and of itself in a, in a way kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, it, it, we obviously don't have the answer. We've seen this. We've seen a couple of ways of of working around it, but if anyone out there has a little more detail about it, uh, I know there are some uh, geeks that listen to this show. There, there's, of course, a lot of you that that are <laughs> that are on the path to being geeks, and and that's really what the show's for. But but there are plenty of you that are already here, and we always appreciate your advice oh, because up and we... coming geeks. Well, there's the, the yeah, there's, there's no. right most. So of I listeners... wonder also. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. No, it's fine. I <laughs> said my piece. Oh, the band. The band. They band. Yeah. So uh we look forward to an answer on that. Two oh six 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 geek is the number to dial and uh leave us a voicemail there. You can mm. Skype it to MacGeekGab. Gab. Uh you can email it to MacGeekGab at MacObserver.com. And uh I think John's always on the lookout for smoke signals, so you know, goes there. What? Huh? What are you
0: talking about? Huh? <laughs> I was going to mention, yeah, Rosetta, I'm curious if the recent updates, because I've noticed a lot of the recent updates uh, to macOS, yeah. at least on the Intel side, from what my Intel friends tell me, or, uh, you know, MacBook friends, is that they're larger. So I think, uh, and at least in in one recent update, I think you know about this, Dave, they really replaced a lot of Rosetta. So I'm wondering if right. there's a little lurking bug or a new bug. So I'm be. Be curious if, if uh, people who are running OS 10 and Rosetta. Did you notice this happening after you did an update? Sometimes it happens. Yeah. I I still rush to download an update as soon as I see it, though. I'm I'm stupid that way, but
1: yeah. Well, it's I always (laughs) just chalk it up to our job because we have to do it. By the way, speaking of updates, of course, 10.49 came out in the last uh, the last couple of days here. So, uh, I I downloaded it within you know about 10 minutes of it coming out. Seems to be working great for me. Mm -hmm. I. Don't really notice. Oh, dot max syncing is faster uh, for me Ooh, without question. Without question, you. it's faster. It's not great, but it's much better than it was. So that's that. I'm curious. You know, I always hear
0: and and I'll just. Uh, but a lot of times after a OS update, they'll say my system's faster. Oh, it's yeah. like, well, you, you rebooted. That's right. <laughs> Cleans out a lot of the cruft. That's right. That's right. Who knows? Uh, what
1: else? Next week, we are uh, back to your questions here. We've got nothing out of the ordinary plan. We've got plenty of questions in the queue, but please send your questions in again. It's 206 666 geek Cashfly hosting is where you've downloaded the show. The podcast marketplace includes the 6i isolator earphones from Edomotic, A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebone Software, and Audible with your free download from the link. So there you go. Hmm. Uh, huh. wow, What happened here? Where are we? Yeah. I, I usually have things all organized here, and now I'm. it's going to start playing things out of order, so I just got to do it mess. this way. I'm a mess. What can I say? It's that 1049 update. It screwed me all up. Mm-hmm. Curse you, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh... Hey. Okay. Hmm. I got something to say to that guy who's uh, playing guitar here. Yeah, and yeah, congratulations. Welcome to Peter Towers. Don't get
2: caught, Mina.